we begin, we're just going to turn uh, to the Gospel of Luke this morning, in chapter 9. And I will read um, our passage. Yeah, it's okay, I got you. Sure. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we'll be in Luke chapter 9, verses uh, 51 to 62. So it says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him, who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them and they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me go first and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hands to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So this morning I want to spend a bit of time in this, this passage of Luke. And um, yeah, just a bit of context surrounding it. At this point in the story, Jesus has been teaching, he's been ministering, he's been doing miracles for quite a while. And he's kind of gained this following of people. And he's been working with this core group of disciples. And as if we read beyond this passage, you'll see the account of him sending out the 72, which is often referred to um, when we're talking about uh, teachings of discipleship and mission. But amidst all this, we need to take note of an important transition that is happening within Luke's gospel narrative. We read in our opening verse that Jesus set his face to go to, uh, to, go to Jerusalem. This signifies a turning, a narrowing, a focusing of his ministry on what is to come. Jesus' physical journey is beginning towards Jerusalem, but we know the rest of the story, and that from here, this is not merely a typical festival pilgrimage, um, but one that is ultimately going to lead to his death and to a new reality for the whole world. So while... Um, we're on this journey with Jesus, I want us to witness how he shepherds his disciples along the way. So our passage begins with Jesus sending a few of his disciples on ahead to make arrangements in the Samaritan village. And we pick up from the story that um, these disciples weren't received overly well. And the reason for this rejection is because Jesus's face is set towards Jerusalem. And with that, there's a few different things going on here. So there's a cultural piece that's playing out here. Jesus and his disciples um, are likely not well received as travelers in the village because their destination is Jerusalem. And we don't have time to get into the whole history of the Samaritans and the Jews, but essentially this is one of those kind of markers of differentiation that the Samaritans didn't believe it was absolutely necessary to go to Jerusalem for these pilgrimages. And so when you know, Jews would come passing through, they weren't very favorable to them. 
And there's also this piece that Luke is pointing out here that the Samaritans also probably weren't accepting this idea um, or just the, the message that Jesus was bringing to them. Um, they weren't acceptant of the invitation that he had to journey towards this new reality or a new Jerusalem that was in the process of being established. And I love how James and John respond to this lack of perception when they say, or sorry, reception, when they say, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Um, This always makes me laugh a little bit as I envision this conversation playing out. And I think at this point, you know, James and John, they've been following Jesus for a while. They've witnessed and participated in some pretty miraculous things. And their little tribe has begun to gain this following. And you almost get the impression that they're perhaps a little puffed up, a little maybe overconfident, um, might be so bold to say entitled, uh, because of who they believe Jesus is um, and their association with him. So they ask Jesus if if they can unleash the power of God over these unreceptive individuals. Um, And yeah, it just makes me think of some of my less holy moments where I maybe ask God, to, in other words, unleash the, his wrath <laughs> on individuals who uh, don't see eye to uh, don't see eye to eye with my own uh, perception of the gospel. And I just think in this story how if anyone has a reason to be upset by the Samaritan response, it's Jesus. This is actually a personal rejection for him. He's God. His message is truth. His character was deserving of admiration and respect. But when faced with this rejection, he graciously just moves on to another village without setting that one on fire on his way out. I think part of the reason that Jesus didn't get caught up in kind of this cultural religious war was because his face was turned, his attention was towards Jerusalem. Um, to which we ultimately see the beginning of this new Jerusalem that he's about to usher in. So the first discipleship principle of this passage is a call to consider where our eyes are fixed and to remember how to navigate the inevitable rejection that comes in journeying with Christ. So now to the second portion of our text, we're seeing both this physical, spiritual, kind of metaphorical journey towards Jerusalem playing out. And here Jesus seems to address two different types of potential followers, the optimist and the obligated. So at first, you see this follower who's excited and eager to follow Jesus. And I love how he responds to this optimism and reminds this follower that foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. A humble reminder that following Jesus might not be full of comfort and that it might actually ask us to give something up. The next group of potential disciples that are addressed in this passage are keen to follow Jesus, at least with their mouth, but they have a bunch of conditions. Various commentaries actually suggest that the father of the man who asks to go first bury his father might not even be dead yet. And even if he was, these Jewish practices of burial could take the better part of a year. So essentially this guy is saying, hey, like I want to follow you, but I'll get back to you in a while when this season is over, um, once things in my household have changed. And when I read that, that's one of those ones I see myself in a lot more. Um, How often do I say that I'll get back to really following Jesus once this situation is over, this season is over, 
things in my household change, I get through this week, so on and so forth. There's all these conditions that come with my own set of obligations. So I think from these few lines, it's easy enough, enough for us to grasp that Jesus is asking his followers to put the kingdom of God before all of these other things. But this is something that can be hard to work out in our own lives. To conclude this section, Luke records Jesus saying that no one puts his hands to a plow and looks back, sorry, no one who puts his hands to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. If you aren't familiar with ancient plowing, the hands of the plow operator were necessary for keeping that plow straight. Um, the animals did all the heavy lifting and the pulling, but it, the plow required a captain of sorts. And the farmer had to keep their eyes forward and be aware of the terrain of the field um, in order to keep the plow moving straight. And by taking their eyes off of that, they ran the risk of actually kind of messing up their field and affecting their yield. And it was actually a very serious thing. So we can see in these short few lines that Jesus covers a lot of ground of just some basics of what discipleship is going to require, what following him is going to ask of us. And again, this is important because it's a transitional moment in Luke's gospel. There's been all these miraculous things happening and it, it all just seems great and wonderful. Um, but here, as Jesus turns to Jerusalem, and we all know what that means, what that, that actual journey and the end of what Jerusalem holds for Jesus, um, he begins to really shepherd and disciple those who follow him uh, of what going towards Jerusalem actually is going to mean in their lives. So a few takeaways from this is just not to get too caught up in being accepted culturally and religiously by those who aren't receptive to the gospel. Jesus is reminding us to walk humbly and to brush the dust off, as he talks about in other passages that follow. He also reminds us that the journey might not be comfortable and it may require leaving a sense of home. This might be physical, this might be emotional, it might be a habitual home or something that manifests comfort in some way in our lives. And the call to follow Jesus is now it's not when this season is done or when the kids move out or when life slows down or whatever obligation feels overly important. Jesus is on the move now. He's on his way to Jerusalem now and is inviting us to come along with that. And finally, this journey will require a particular outlook, a focus, a turning of one's face towards something, towards the cross, towards the new Jerusalem, and ultimately towards the kingdom of God.